Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. It was interesting to study these scriptures. I chose them on Wednesday. I was thinking about Jesus Christ as king, is seated on the throne, not having any idea that Queen Elizabeth would pass the next day. It has been interesting to watch all of the pomp and circumstance as, as England has gone through this transition of leadership, saying goodbye to to the queen who was a faithful woman, uh, 70 years on the throne, and also a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. She was very explicit about her Christian faith and and, and took her job as the, the defender of the faith very seriously. We are grateful to have someone of her stature to model us, model for us what a faithful sovereign should look like. But as, as glorious as she was, as, as spectacular as all of the different um, elements of pomp and circumstance are over the next two weeks, we know that they are just a shadow of the true king, of the true reality of heaven, of the true glory that God will show to us when Jesus Christ is revealed to us as enthroned on high. As we think about this, this shadow of things to come, we think about this church in, in the book of Hebrews. This church probably in the city of Rome had been through persecution uh, under the Emperor Claudius. They were about to, fo- to face much greater persecution later under Nero. And at this moment, they are weary. Anybody feel weary right now? It's like all of us have been through so much and we are weary. And the, 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 the author of Hebrews sees this weary crowd and he wants to wake them up. He wants to wake them up that they are not a defeated people, but they have a victorious king seated on the heavens. It's like he starts with a trumpet fanfare. Don't, don't get bogged down in the mud. See the glory of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. This trumpet fanfare, like it announced King Charles III yesterday, that can you imagine the heavenly trumpets that will proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. The author of Hebrews wants to let us know that Jesus is greater than any prophet. He is greater than any priest and he is greater than any king and he is one who is is real and true and with us even now we may be weary but god never tires he never slumbers or sleep and sleeps and he is with us even now as i've been studying the book of hebrews and and looking at different things it's interesting to see the the parallels between uh, the church today and, and the church back then The the American church, probably the global church, is weary of all that we have been fighting in the last three years. It seems like everything is harder now, doesn't it? 
It seems like every decision is harder, every conversation is harder, that we're, we're just tired and bogged down. And this commentator described the situation in, for the book of Hebrews, his congregation is exhausted. They are tired, tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of keeping their prayer life going, tired even of Jesus. Their hands droop and their knees are weak. The threat that here is not that they are charging off in the wrong direction. They do not have enough energy to charge off anywhere. The threat is here is that worn down and worn out, they will drop their end of the rope and drift away. Does that resonate with your heart? We are so weary that it's hard to get up enough energy to do anything, to volunteer, to, 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 to care about. Uh, you know, every time you open the newspaper, it sounds like there's always bad news and more deaths, shootings, all of these things. And we're so weary. We can't even get up an emotional response. We can't even grieve anymore because it's, we, we have grief fatigue. But yet, this, the author of Hebrews is wanting to call out to this church don't grow weary. There is something so much greater than you can even see. We, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's interesting that some people have assumed it was Paul, but even in the early church, there was not a specific attribution. There are lots of different theories. One was Apollos. If you remember, Paul uh, met this guy who was an excellent preacher, but he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. His name was Apollos. And so he sent Apollos to Priscilla and Aquila for them to instruct him in the faith. And then he went out and, and broadcast and, and was an amazing evangelist all across the, the Mediterranean world. So Apollos is a prime candidate for an author of this because it's such an eloquent sermon. Um, another theory, as in Martin Luther himself thought Apollos was, and I, I probably lean that way, that it probably was him. I, I, I like another theory, but I don't think it's true, that Priscilla herself wrote it. <laughs> I, I, there's one clue at one point in the text where, she, where the, the author could have chosen a, a female example instead of a male example, and I'm like, that couldn't have been Priscilla. <laughs> But, but if Apollos wrote it, he's writing to this weary group of people who are, are, are in Rome. They probably trace their roots to the group of Roman Jews or Jewish Romans that were in, uh, in Jerusalem at Pentecost. In that description of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, it described people from all over the empire, and there was a group of people from Rome. So this probably dated to very far back, early, early, early church. We, we can tell by the text as we go through it that probably the temple in Jerusalem is still there. The temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, so it's before that. So it's when, within about 40 years, probably 30 years of Jesus' death. So it's still early in the days. This is probably mostly a, a, a Jewish congregation. This is a group of people who would know the Jewish scripture inside and out. It's funny, these days, often when a verse comes into my head, I can't think of exactly where it is, so I, you know, have to use a Bible app to find it. <laughs> Gone are the days of the giant concordance. But, but these people didn't have the internet to be able to search the Bible. They had to know it by heart. Often they didn't have access to their own, I mean, usually they did not have access to their own printed version of anything. So they had to learn it in the synagogue. They had to learn it over and over and memorize what they could so 
that they could pull out different pieces of it. And we see in this sermon, the person who writes it knows the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They pull out all kinds of different examples and images and, and we'll, we'll try to unpack that imagery because most of us these days don't have the whole witness of scripture memorized in our heads. But there's some powerful things that he pulls out that, that speak to who Jesus Christ is. And we see the thread of Jesus from the, from the beginning of time all the way through to this, this period that he's writing. Hebrews has been treated as scripture from the early days. Um, it was quoted heavily in, a, in one of the first letters we have among the church fathers. Um, first Clem, Clement was the, was the bishop of Rome, and one of his letters quotes extensively from Hebrews. So we know that it was in early circulation. It was an early part of, of the church's understanding. As we read through Hebrews in the next eight weeks, I want you to, as you read, think about, like, Use your imagination. It's a very evocative sermon. He's trying to help us to picture what is going on. He's trying to help us to use our imaginations to see the, the spiritual things. We, he wants us to, to not just see the earthly things, but imagine what God is up to. And, and so as we look at that, as we look at those images, I'm going to challenge you to, to think about what that is. What does it look like for Jesus to be seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? As we go through it, you'll see that he tends to go back and forth between explaining things, and sometimes they're kind of obscure things, and then applying that and encouraging the church, exhorting them, saying, okay, guys, wake up. This is what this means to you. So we'll see a combination of, of unpacking and also uh, um, like a coach saying, okay, guys, you can do this. Uh, often when football players, uh, well, you know, they have the little black smudge on the, uh, under their cheeks. They often will quote Hebrews when it says, strengthen weakened knees. <laughs> and, and that encouragement is, is sort of a coach energy saying, you can do this, you can go on. So as we look now at the prologue of Hebrews, he, it, again, it's like a trumpet fanfare. He doesn't start, you know, a lot of Paul's letters start, um, grace and peace to you, I thank God for you, I'm praying for you. But Hebrews doesn't start that way. He starts with this blast, Jesus is king. He, he doesn't want us to miss this. He sort of wakes us up from, from the start. He doesn't even ramp up. He starts with this blast. And in these three verses, we see three offices of Jesus Christ. And traditionally in the church, it's called the threefold office of Christ. Jesus is prophet, is priest, and is king. Jesus is prophet, is priest, and king. And we'll see these three things as we go through them and unpack why we need, even now, a prophet in our lives, a priest in our lives, and a king in our lives. The, the, this opening passage is actually all one sentence. Um, the, the most Bibles translations tend to, to break it up, but it's, it's all one piece. And you see from the beginning that the author is trying to contrast the things of the Old Testament with the things of the New Testament. This is what, was, what once was, and this is how it's fulfilled in Jesus. I, you know, the, in the past, and then in these days, he says, our ancestors, and this is to us, the prophets, the son, various ways, one way. So as we go through this, look at the parallels. 
How is he using this to contrast with the Old Testament? And what he's trying to do as, as this weary congregation has been at drift, one of the ways that they are drifting is back into their old religion. They're tempted to go back into the safe uh, religiosity that they had under, under the Jewish rule. The, Jew, the Jews had made a deal with the Romans. It was, a, it was an approved religion. This Christian sect was not approved. And so they were, it was hard for them to worship. They were excluded from the marketplace. They were under persecution. We saw a lot of that in the, churches, the, the, the letters to the churches in Revelation that we studied a few months ago. So, so this, the author is trying to say, those were the old ways. Don't go back to them. I know that you're nostalgic for the way it used to be, but see what God is doing now. It is something so much greater than anything in the past. Don't miss what Jesus Christ is doing. So as we talk about the prophets, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. John, the gospel of John starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When we think about the Old Testament, we think of a lot of words, and it was God speaking through humans. It was God speaking through his actions and through creation. But, it, but the, the author is saying it's not that Jesus is a replacement of all of those words, but he is a fulfillment of those words. He's not a replacement. He's a fulfillment he wants us to see that it's all tied together. In the past, God, the same God, spoke through all of these people, but now this is his word. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't just information. He's not just stuff that we can learn about. He's a person. He is a person that lived and breathed and walked our earth and, and, and loved and welcomed and taught and sacrificed and died and rose again. Jesus Christ, the living word, speaks more to us than any normal word ever could because it was a full life and a full expression of God's love for us. As this word was spoken, you, you know, in the beginning, in, in Genesis 1, the Lord spoke and there, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke creation into being. And, and in the New Testament, in several places, it equates that speaking with Jesus Christ as the word that was present in creation. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we have this same thing. God, God is speaking this word, and the word is God. It, the Hebrews says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We see that God is at work in creation. He's, he's at work in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. So we can listen to him. So we can trust him. So we can learn from him. So we can hear the words of God expressed through Jesus. 
In the same way, Jesus is a priest. We think of the, the sacrificial system, the way that priests operated in the Old Testament. The priests were supposed to be a mediator. They were the intermediary be between the people and God. They were the ones that were supposed to listen to God, and they were the ones that, that represented the people to God. They were the ones, the, the, the one selected high priest on the Day of Atonement would go through a special cleansing ritual and then would go and offer sacrifices on behalf of the whole people. He had to be cleaned up so that he could offer a sacrifice. Later in the book of Hebrews, we're going to hear a lot more about Jesus Christ as, as priest. Here in the prologue, it, it just specifically says he had provided purification for sins. But unlike a human priest who had to use a, a spotless lamb to sacrifice for purification and have to do that every year, every time, every over and over and over, Jesus Christ, the priest, was also the sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb, the one who was slain before the beginning of time. He was the one who laid his life down so that you and I, so that we could be cleansed and forgiven by the power of his blood. This sacrifice, this, this priestly role, it's incredible to think that he combined the two, the, the, the priest and the sacrifice. And even now, even though that, that sacrifice was once and for all, it is still valid for all of us. It has already been done. Your sin is already paid for. All you have to do is ask for God's forgiveness and it's already there. And in that, he's also our intermediary. He is the one that speaks directly to, to, to God for us. He prays for us. It says that he intercedes for us. He, it, it describes him as our, our advocate, like our, our defense attorney. Jesus Christ is the one who took our sins on, but he's also the one defending us, saying, he's with me. <laughs> he's the one that covers all that we have and all that we do. It is in Christ, through his priest priesthood that we are set free that we are welcomed into the presence of God even on his death the veil of the temple was torn in two and later in Hebrews it says therefore we can boldly approach the throne of grace Jesus Christ made that way possible through both his priesthood and his sacrifice as priest and finally this image of the king this it concludes with, with Jesus being sitting at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It is very clear this connection between God and Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son. These are two of the three persons of the Trinity. They are equal in power. And sitting at the right hand of God, uh, of the majesty in heaven, means that he, they are the same nature. They have the same power and deserve the same worship. They are truly equal and separate but one. Jesus Christ is our ultimate king and every other human king that has ever lived, including the new one, all submit to Jesus Christ. It's, it says in Isaiah, as I just read earlier, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will, will see and bow down because the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. So Jesus Christ is the one before whom all kings, all princes, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords, 
is the Caesar of Caesar, the president of president, the king of kings. As we think about all of this as prophet, priest, and king, what does this mean for us? We, we think of prophets of Old Testament. We don't think of prophets very often right now. We think of priests as, in the Presbyterian church anyway, as, as a very kind of ancient idea. We in America don't have a king. So why does this matter to us? I think all of us with a prophet, all of us are longing for a word. How many of you have thought to yourself, at least, you know, really would love a neon sign from God saying, go that way. <laughs> we, we long for direction. We long for instruction. Jesus Christ is our prophet. He is the word of God. As we get to know Jesus, we begin to understand the whole word. Because he is the whole word. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand. He wants us to, to, to draw from him. He wants to lead and wants to guide. And the first thing that we have to do to seek guidance is seek Jesus Christ, who is speaking even now through the written word and through, the, through his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can be confident and assured that we are following in the right direction. So why do we need a priest? Someone recently told me that they had grown up in a tradition where they had to go to the priest to get the priest to pray for them to be forgiven. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he has created a way for us to talk straight to the Lord. He is the priest. He's the, the intermediary and he is the one that we're talking to. We need a priest because we need to be able to talk to God. But Jesus Christ is that priest and he is God. There's no human intermediary. God gives us a straight path straight to him. As we think about that priest who also offers a sacrifice, how often we feel like we have to, when we have made a huge mistake, we have to clean up our mess. We have to prove that we are worthy of, of God's love. We have to prove that we, we are, we're going to be good enough. I, I, I've told you before, I always think of like grace, the forgiveness of sins. I can get that for about 30 seconds at a time. And I instantly go back to trying to earn my way to God again. I, I try to prove that I'm, I'm okay. And we all struggle with that. But what God is saying is that I've sacrificed. I have provided purification for sin. It's done. Jesus' death on a cross is enough. It's completely sufficient. And it will set us free. As Christ is priest, he gives us freedom. As, as king, it's interesting how humans always seek something to worship. C.S. Lewis said, I've seen a quote on, online several times this week since the queen passed away, what C.S. Lewis thought of monarchy. And he said, if people don't have a king, they're going to worship something. They might worship celebrity. They might worship millionaires. They might worship football. Sorry to say that on Steelers Day. <laughs> but we worship something. But Jesus Christ is the only king who is truly worthy of worship. He is the only one who holds all of the power of the world in his hands. And he's not going to, to, to force us and dominate us and, and, and control us. He holds all of that power in his hand and showed up to earth as a baby. 
He's the one who humbled himself even unto a servant, humbled himself even unto death, even death on a cross. He is the king and the servant of all. He is the king who is willing to lay his life down for us so that we might be brought into his presence to boldly approach this throne of grace. It's not a terrifying throne. It's a throne of grace. We need a king because our hearts long for something to worship. We need a king who will provide justice when everything is broken. We need a king who will grant mercy and pardon from any sin. We need a king who calls you princes and princesses of the king, daughters and sons inherited, who, who can gain the inheritance of the kingdom. We are adopted into Jesus' family, into the, into the family of God as his dearly beloved children. And we can run to him not just as a king, not just way up there, but also as one who wants us to call him Abba, Father. It's been interesting to hear, you know, even King Charles, as he gave his first address, he, she was the queen, but to him, she was mama. To the new Prince of Wales, she was granny. That is the way that God wants us to think of him, not as only as exclusively, oh, most high, but also as Abba, Father. There's such a personal welcome relationship there that God wants to, to bring us into his presence and love us and call us to be equipped and, and his ambassadors to be sent out to spread the grace and the forgiveness of the kingdom of God. As we come together to, to take communion this morning, we see each of those offices reflected. Jesus Christ is the word of God, the prophet. We see he's the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the promise of Passover as we enact Passover here that to remember that Jesus is the one who, who covered over the houses the blood of the lamb that saved the lives of the Hebrews so that they could escape out of Egypt. He is the one who was, was broken and sacrificed for us. He is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies of the Old Testament. And he is the word that still speaks today. This is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. At the same time, we think about the priest who gathers and comes and lays down and, and brings a sacrifice. This is the sacrifice, this blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we also gather to proclaim as we eat the bread and, and drink the cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. And when he comes again, he will be enthroned in glory. This is a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb when we can celebrate our one true king, when we can gather around and praise him and worship him in complete wholeness, restored to everything that he is calling us to. I saw a quote this week that was attributed to Queen Elizabeth, but was actually to Queen Vic something Queen Victoria said. Uh, but I, I love the image of this, that uh, one of the chaplains of Queen Victoria had just spoken on the second coming of Christ, of looking forward to Jesus' return. And, and she expressed to the chaplain, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. Why? Asked the chaplain, does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? 
The queen replied with quivering lips and her whole countenance lighted up with deep emotion. I should love to lay my crown at his feet. Brothers and sisters, we all have crowns. Some are more elaborate than others. There are only a few that have the, the sapphires and diamonds and rubies like the crown, crown jewels of England. But all of them, however grand and however poor, all of them will be laid at the feet of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. We can crown him with many crowns and celebrate his glory because he is the king who sacrificed himself and he is the king who reigns again on high and welcomes us all to boldly approach his throne of grace. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.